plan. I got to tell you, most uh, Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings predominantly are like my big sermon prep. And so I, I got this nice little spot in Bold Bean, you know, the local coffee shop up in San Marco. And so I've got this little booth that's kind of my, it's my booth. I got to get there early to get it because people come in, they want my booth. Uh, Amy has dropped by and she'll see me, she'll see me in my booth there. She'll come and say, hey. And uh, I'm there every Tuesday morning. And so usually I have my laptop with me, but Monday I decided when I was here at the office, I'm like, I'll just, I'll just leave it here and I'll use my iPad. I got this cool little adapter to my iPad that lets me, you know, keyboard, and it, it works just as well, a little bit lighter to carry around. So I figured I'd do that. So I get to Bold Bean, and I flip it open. I'm early. They know my name. They know the tea. I don't have to tell. They know what I'm going to drink. Um, and so I don't pay enough rent for the time I'm there, though. I only pay like $3 worth of rent for a whole day, and I don't think that's enough. But uh, anyway, I try to tip good. And uh, anyway, so I'm in my spot, and I flip it open and uh, get ready to write my sermon for today. And I open up, and then, I, like, the keyboard has its own separate battery, so you have to wake that up. And so I'm like, click, click, click. And I, as soon as that happens, and it's, it's like three clicks usually wakes up the keyboard. But I got, to like, five or six clicks, and the keyboard's not waking up. And I'm like, and we're 20-minute 20, 20 drive, you know, Jacksonville traffic. Don't have to deal with that in the morning. And I'm clicking, and it's not coming awake, and I know what's happened. My keyboard's dead. And here I am trying to prep for the sermon. You know, I just, my whole morning is like blocked up. But then, you know, you know, you've had this happen in your day. You lock your keys in the car. You have to do something. Something's not going as planned. So anyway, so I take out my phone and I'm just like, I'll just write the sermon from my phone. Like, we'll just do that. And so I, I open up my phone. I pull up my Evernote and I'll just kind of research on the iPad, but actually take my notes. And so Every Tuesday, if you ever want an appointment with me on a Tuesday for lunch, it ain't going to happen because that is reserved for my lovely bride. Every single Tuesday, we've got lunch date, and I take her and my little baby, and we go eat at the new restaurant we want to try. So um, without our boys, who uh, it's just not as relaxing when they're at the table. <laughs> they're seven and four. So I take my girls. We have a nice little uh, lunch. And so I come home to pick up Taryn this past Tuesday after writing my sermon that morning on my phone, which is not ideal. And like the past 30 minutes, I'd felt I've got this headache that's come on and it's splitting. And so, of course, like Taryn is like essentially oils me up from head to toe. And I just, just to be sure, I take some ibuprofen just to, just to <laughs> come at it both angles and see what happens. And, and uh, so it, it eventually came off. By the end of the day, like my hand's cramping and I've got the claw. You ever had the claw because you text so much? You might have a problem if, you know. Um, so, but this headache, had continued. I'm like, what, where did this come from? I was fine all morning, just the past 30 minutes, right before I'm getting ready to take her out. It's just come on so strong, and it hit me. I'd been staring down the whole time. I had this pain that had developed because my head had been down. What, what I realized and what clicked in me that afternoon as I was processing this with the text that we're going to look to is, is that this is how we spend most of our lives with our heads down. Our head's very busy, and you probably came in with busy preparations. I know for us, my wife, we, we were here for, for both services, and, and so trying to get the crock pot ready, head, head down, trying to get the kids dressed, and you know, cleaning the house, and, and being there to work overtime, and head down, just working, and you may feel like coming in here today, and you just got a little bit of a spiritual headache. You got a little bit of an emotional headache, even if you don't have a physical headache. Maybe you got a physical headache. And, and what I know in, in my heart for today is that 
in the midst of this very special gathering that we would all, every single one of us, that we would look up. Because I think something happens when we look up and our attention and our gaze is erupted and caught up in the love of God the Father who loved each and every single one of us so much that he gave Jesus Christ for our sins. And so I want to turn with you to Mark 16 and just talk to, to you for a few minutes on a sermon called Look Up. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. I apologize, one of our screens is glitching really bad, and this one's glitching a little bit. We're working on it. We'll have a mechanic out tomorrow to, to fix it. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through, through 8. Um, we'll be right there if I can flip it up. There we go. Mark 16, 1 through 8. Jesus has already been betrayed. He has been arrested. He has been beaten. Tort- his body literally tortured more than what we can think or imagine physically, Brutal, absolutely brutalized. And then he was put on the cross, and he died. He breathed his last, and they put him inside of a, uh, a, a tomb. And this is where we'll pick up in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, over, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And, and when they, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you, trembling And bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. These women came to, in a customary way, to anoint a body. That was very customary, uh, religious even, to come and anoint a body. And, and, And not, this wasn't mummification. This wasn't Egypt. This was to cover over the smell of decomposition, the death of a body. And uh, they, most likely they bought the spices and perfumes late on Saturday evening. The Jewish Sabbath meant no work happening from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So they probably bought some spices and perfumes late in the evening after sundown on Saturday. And then Sunday morning they get up early to go and to take care. And for, for many, this would be just a customary thing to do for a loved one or a, a family friend or something. But these women didn't come out of religion, religion or custom. They came out of relationship. And I know on a day like this when we're all gathered together and, and, and we come and we can kind of come out of religion. And some of us in the room, we've come out of religion. We've come out of custom. And then others of us in the room, we've come out of relationship. Like we've experienced Jesus for ourselves. There's a relationship in why we've come today to celebrate and to anoint Jesus' body, so to speak. And so we, we come to get together today, and I just want to challenge you, encourage you. Jesus did not come so, to invite you into a, relation, a religion. He invited you here, and he, he extends the invitation of why you're, is for relationship. Like, and we can make it all this other stuff. And what I think is interesting uh, about this text is they were expecting 
the stench of death. My, my lovely bride, Taryn, she used to work for her uncle who was an attorney. And next door at one time, I remember when we were living in Georgia, there was a, a lady who died there, or a guy who died there. And they said that they could smell it from next door. It smelled so bad. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around that. Most of you probably not. probably don't want it. You'd run far from it. But like a decaying decomposition of a body rotting. And that's what they're expecting to smell. And I think for many of us, like we come today and and, and we spend most of our life just trying to cover up the scent of death. Just trying to, to hopefully cover over and sweeten over the depth of our brokenness in our own heart. We spend our life trying to anoint it and put on perfume and let everybody think that it's all good. Nothing dead here, nothing dead to see when in reality we're as broken as we can be. We are as dead as we can be. And even if we don't feel dead, we are dead in our sin. That We, we can't access the Father um, without the blood of Jesus and without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and we, have this, we have this stench of death that we're trying to get rid of, cover over the brokenness in our marriage, try to cover over and rub some perfumes uh, so no one will know about our addiction, so no one will see it. And these women come to do that. But I just want to tell you, Jesus did not come to just get rid of the scent of death in your life, but he came to resurrect new life altogether. Like that's why he came, for a relationship and to bring new life in you, both spiritually, and I believe it, it offers us hope, not just for the life to come, but in this age, that we might experience life into the abundant. And, and I think if a lot of us are honest in this room, we would say, I've experienced life. I don't know if I've experienced life to the full like with a living hope. And though even though my body is wasting away physically and decomposing, my spirit is renewed day by day in this relationship with God the Father. But, but you couldn't help, I mean, these women just put yourself in their shoes as they're walking. The reason they have a negative expectation of what they're gonna smell and what they're gonna find is because what they witnessed two days prior. And so some of us, we're in the same place because of things we've witnessed in days prior. Now we have this negative expectation, this perpetual negative view and perception and expectation of everything in our life because of what somebody did to us when we were young or, or, or what happened to us last year or how far we feel like we've fallen from God's grace. And, and I just want to tell you, like Jesus wants to blow your expectations out of the water. Like he, he doesn't want to meet them. He, he wants to blow them out of the water. When you come expecting to find a dead, like you're going to find the risen, the risen Lord. That's what he wants to bring into your life. And across this room, there are testimonies of God's grace, of his resurrecting, the, 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 as we just sang about, the resurrecting life that's come into us. And that's why we're so excited. And that's why I speak and sing with passion is because of how great a sinner I realized I was and how broken and how dead I was, but in Christ I have found new life. And that is offered to you and it's offered all across this room. They begin to process it as they're walking, right? They're like, um, one thing we didn't think about, the stone, like we're not gonna be able to move that away ourselves. It would take like four probably grown, five maybe grown men to roll a stone of this enormous size out of the way. 
And they're just processing like, one, two, three. Okay, us three women, we're not going to be able to roll, physically roll this stone out of the way. And, and I think this speaks volumes to us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's not about our works. It's not about your strength. It's about the strength of God. Jesus did what we could not do. All of the law, and, and this whole thing, it's always been about relationship, and it's always been about the redemption of mankind, and that God wanted to do more for us than we could do for ourselves. I mean, look into the history of Judaism and, and, the, and the theology in that, and it's all there that God wanted to do more for us than what we could do for ourselves. But most of us, we try to do it by our own works. Try to get some good karma. But here, here's, the, here's the reality of the situation, is that none of us could, could, can stand under that law. That, that's what all the 600 plus laws of Judaism taught us, is to bring us to this place that we are fallen and we are broken. And on our very best day, what the prophet said is that our best day is like filthy rags to the holiness of God. Like our relation, the, I, I'll get on a tangent here, but... Um, God wants to bring us into to a relationship, and we cannot do it on our own. What God did in moving that tomb is the same thing he wants to do in your life. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you are. It's not about moral modification. God wants to do some heart transformation. He wants to do something from the inside. And they come, and they find that, and their heads are down, wondering about what's next. And verse 4 says, but... When they looked up. Something changed when they looked up. What they were worried about before, they're not worried about anymore. When they looked up. And most of us, we spend our life with our heads down. Like I did with my phone on Tuesday. And we got a headache because of my head down. Head down in my career looking for the commendation of man. Head down into my family as a parent and as a spouse, looking for completion in my responsibilities. My head down in my device, looking for connection that I won't find. But if I'll just look up, I'll find every commendation I've ever been looking, the the hand of approval, that you are my son, you are my daughter, and who I am well pleased and I love, not based on your works, but out of my unconditional love for you. We'll find the the, the commendation we've been looking for. We'll find the completion that our careers and our families will never give us in the depth of our heart, and no connection in a device or social media world or friendship will ever give us when we are beloved and we are a friend of God. We'll find it when we look up. (laughs) That wasn't their reaction. They didn't get all that first. What they got was they were flipping out. They're like, whoa, they're alarmed. It's this Greek word, ekthombeo. You don't have to pronounce that. But it means to be thoroughly amazed, to be terrified even. Like fully, like have you ever been that surprised and terrified all at the same time? Uh, when I was in college, I, I moved nine hours away from where my hometown was, and uh, I've got a great relationship with my folks. And I, my mom is one of the people. My dad's one of the one of the people who, when you uh, surprise him, he was like, "Oh, cool," you know, one of those like you know doesn't get much out of it. You know, the surprise is supposed to be about them, but really it's about us. We want the good surprise. And so my mom is like on the complete other end, and she's an amazing one to do a surprise on. So when I was in college, I think it might have been Easter weekend even, 
Um, I, I, I hitched a ride with a friend down Interstate 75, and my brother came out late on a Friday night to pick me up and to bring me home and to sneak me into my own bed in my house. And, and let me just say, that's a little bit, it's a little bit creepy to think like you know there's two or three people living in the house, and there's actually another person sleeping there, and you don't know about it. Like, that'd flip you, it'd flip you out. And so my mom had no idea, my folks had no idea I spent the night in my bed. And so uh, Saturday morning, I pick up the phone and, um, from my room, which my mom probably already should have sniffed it out. Like, my son never calls me. I have to call him. Hashtag mom problems. But um, <laughs> I call her early on a Saturday morning, probably 8.30 or something, and, and I just start talking to her. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm walking, and I just slowly, as I'm having a conversation, what you up to, mom? Oh, cool. No, I'm just sitting here getting dressed. And so I just start walking into her room and eventually she begins to pick up that she's not only hearing me here, but she hears me in the room, and, and she begins to slowly turn around, and she is like ekthombeo, <laughs> terrified. She doesn't know how to describe what she is seeing. She feels like she's seeing a ghost. Like she is, it, it was, it's the only way I can connect with the story because it was the sheer terror. Like you can't be here because you're there. And these women had experienced Jesus' death, and like, that can't be real because of what we just witnessed. And there is this amazement as we learn of the grace of God, that he is who he said he was. When we learn of that, that will scare the daylights out of us, and it'll amaze us. And our world is just spinning, like, this can't be real. Everything I've built my life on, and, and, and my perfection, and what I can do, I found is not good enough. And it's amazing the grace of God that's made away from me is to roll the stone out of the way. The angel says, hey, don't be alarmed. Do not freak out. I forbid you to freak out. <laughs> um, don't, don't, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazarene. He, this is where they laid him, the one that was crucified. This is where he was. See, see, see. I want you to see where they laid him, but I want you to know he has risen. He has risen. This word shows up 141 times. This risen Greek word shows up 141 times in the New Testament as if all of creation, I will tell you, all of creation led to this point in history that even agnostic, atheistic historians will say that moment changed history more than anything else. I mean, think about time as we know it is come off of BC, you know, we, we do the you know, before Christ, after death, we do the BCE and the AC, whatever thing now, but it was off Christ. Can't get what that moment in history happened. And everything in our reality, in our present world and in the age to come, as we knew it was rocked and the expectations were blown out of the water and resurrection, risen, has been what this story has been about from the very beginning. Restoring mankind to a right relationship with God. We'll make it all kinds of stuff. We'll make it organized religion. We'll make it all this stuff. But it's always been about God restoring relationship to himself. And that we could not do that. But God, from the beginning of creation, the scriptures tell us that God had a plan. He was never without a plan. He was never caught off guard by our brokenness. He wanted to lavish his love and his grace on our life despite our brokenness. And he took the sin of the world on his shoulders and he brought new life into it and brought fulfillment in our lives. 
I know, we, I know we live in a super skeptical society though, right? Like I, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. I'd consider myself a skeptic to a certain degree. And so it, like when someone goes fishing or something, right? And they say, man, we caught a 20 foot shark. You would never believe it. Like, no, I don't believe you've caught a 20 foot shark. And so, no, for real, like, okay, show me, show me the picture. Well, our phones died. We didn't have reception. The phones died. And so we don't, don't have any pictures. So, but there's five other guys. I want you to see them. We, we live in this skeptical society, like, and, and many of us in this room, we're in that place. And I, I just have to ask you, though, how many, how many eyewitnesses? Spurgeon said that one eyewitness is better than 20 people of hearsay, right? I mean, that, that, stand, that holds up in court. You know, just someone heard about something that happened, cool. One eyewitness is better than 20, 20 uh, he, uh, situations of hearsay. How many eyewitnesses would it take in your life for you to believe the shark was 20 feet long that they reeled into the boat? How many? Like two? Like two probably would not do it for most of us. Five eyewitnesses, possibly we're getting somewhere like, okay, Maybe. What about a hundred eyewitnesses, room filled, and everybody saw it, and they've experienced it, but I'm the only one. I'm like, okay, either they're all crazy, or I'm, or I'm the one that's crazy, and I just can't believe, can't believe it until I see it for myself, and that's what, that's what the angel of the Lord is saying, like, see where they laid him. I want you to go see him with your physical eyes. I want you to go see him for yourself. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And he begins to pin this down right here. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, also called Peter, and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Right? Some have claimed that what took place in the resurrection of Jesus was nothing but a hoax. Some people came and moved the tomb, and they took Jesus' body. Okay, if you wanted to keep up a hoax and keep up this up creating upheaval in the Roman government, why in the world would you say go ask 500 people and most of them are still alive. We're two, like two decades later. Why in the world would you say, go ask Taryn, go ask Jason, go ask Christ. Why would you give like people that are still alive? Like, no, nah, actually, like you've done this before. Like, no, nah, like when you're kind of getting caught in a lie. Like, well, you know, actually, they're all dead. <laughs> so they can't really confirm what I was saying. They're like, no, go ask them for yourself. They're still living. And across this room, I know like, some of us were skeptics and the, the historicity of it all, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but we're going to rock it. Um, <laughs> it's legit. It's, it's, it's legit. God proved himself, and he wanted to show himself, and he didn't just leave it up to the testimonies of others for hearsay. He brought and showed himself to over 500 at one time, and he kept revealing himself. We get down to verse 7 and 8, and we see that that God, through this angel, is offering an invitation to go and see him for ourselves. And he tells Mary, Mary, and Salome, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. And most of us would just cruise right back, to, back past that. 
But if you know about Peter's story, Peter is the one that Jesus, during his ministry, put his hand on his shoulder and said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He's talking of a frail man later in Jesus' ministry before he went to be crucified. Mark chapter 14, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. The same one that he called a rock. And Peter's like, no way, Jesus, I'm the rock. <laughs> I'm, I'll never deny you. I love you. I'll never do it. I'll never fail you. And Jesus like, yes, you will. And he certainly did. He failed Jesus three times. He denied him three times. And uh, God was not done with him. This invitation from God through the angel to these women that's getting passed. See how it's getting passed on. This message of hope. I remember when I was in high school, um, I'm going to get in trouble with some parents of teenagers in the room for telling this story, and I hope your child does not use it against you at some point. I'm sorry. Parents are nervous. I can feel it. Like, what is he about to do? So I was like 16 or 17 years old, and... (laughs) And uh, we did one of these elaborate schemes that teenagers come up with. And like, I'm going to tell my mom I'm staying at Jimmy's house. And Jimmy's going to say he's staying at Scott's house. And Scott's going to say he's staying at my house. And like, we're all staying all over the place. And then we're all going to hang out at this party all night long, right? So, right? B- this is BC, B- before Jesus, you know, before Christ. Um, <laughs> And so we stayed and we hang out at this party. We had made up this elaborate lie and we had been there. And so we all volunteered. We're a part of the Special Olympics organization. So we were at a Special Olympics event all day long and uh, we're there. And we all start getting calls, each one of us, from our parents separately. Hey, so stoic on the phone, so cold, like not even mom. You know, uh, I need you to meet me at Jimmy's. <laughs> I was just like, I need you to meet me at Jimmy's house when you're done there. I'm like, uh, what for? And as it's happening, like your stomach is churned, like I'm in trouble. I am in big big trouble. So literally, we all get off the phone, like within 30 minutes, we've all been called. And like we're all meeting at Jimmy's house. We're like, we're going to be busted. Like this is going to be awful. And so as teenagers do, and and, and we started plotting to go to Mexico. We're like, who's got the most, (laughs) who's got the most gas in their car? How much, like we were collecting, how much do you have in your bank account? Like I think we had 200 bucks between like five of us and uh, we were going to drive to Mexico. Could we make it past the border as if they wouldn't find us and get us? But anyway, um, but you know what it was? It, it, it was that shame of our failure that we didn't want to face someone we had disappointed so richly. And that's the reality of human existence from the first humans in which Adam and Eve hid because of their shame and because of their disobedience. And it's as if with Peter, God is saying, I want you to go and invite the disciples and especially Peter to come see me for himself. The one who will want to run and hide because his failure was worse than everybody else in his own mind want to go run and hide. He's saying, especially you, I want you to come see me for yourself. It's a powerful testimony that there is no depth. God, there's a special invitation to those who have failed extravagantly. That he's not done with you. There is no depth you can fall to in which God's grace can't snatch you up. But the invitation stands to come see him in Galilee. If you really begin to study the Gospels, you'll find 
that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all written in chronological order, but for, in my study, I really find that the Gospel of John, which is not in chronological order, actually brings the most clarity to the sequence of events, which is kind of counterintuitive, but for the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, and we see this, that it was Mary, Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, and we, we've heard about her. You, you might have, I don't know if you're, you're kind of getting your history from Dan Brown's novel, but for many, many years, like literally over a millennia, um, the Catholic Church really claimed that uh, Mary of Magdalene was a prostitute, like she was a sex worker of some sort. And they later like recanted on that, but like we, we missed the mark there. Uh, it comes out of Luke seven forty seven, in which they thought she was this woman from this city, Magdala, which is close to, it's a little coastal textile town near Galilee. And it appears through our textual evidence that she was a single woman who followed Jesus faithfully, but before she followed him faithfully, she was deeply afflicted. She, the, the scripture tells us that she was possessed even with like these seven demonic spirits. The scriptures don't really get into what those spirits are. Maybe it was the spirit of, of criticism and, and judgmentalism. Maybe it was the, 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 the spirit of like self-harm or I don't, I don't know what the spirits, but she, it was needless to say she wasn't a person that had one issue. She had a whole bunch of them. But when she met Jesus, all that began to change. All that began to change. For everything we have in the scripture, we see that Mary of Magdala was a faithful follower of Jesus. There's this passage of scripture in, um, excuse me, this isn't a passage of scripture. There's a, a poem about Mary of Magdala that I think is, is uh, really powerful for us, this poem. Not she with traitorous kiss her master stung. Not she denied him with unfaithful tongue. She, when apostles fled, could dangers brave, last at the cross and first at the grave. And I think John's gospel leads us to this scene. And if you follow the chronological events, it appears that Mary has come here again with the other women and she leaves. And then while everybody, Mark 16 tells us that they didn't go and tell the disciples like the angel asked them to, right? They, they were afraid. It appears, according to John's gospel, that eventually Mary was the one to go and let Peter and John know, in which John records that they had basically a foot race to the tomb. And John, who wrote the gospel of John, who he refers to himself, the one who Jesus loved, he's like, I happened to reach there first. He just kind of throws that in there. I, I was faster than Peter that day. Um, and, and it appears that after they leave, it appears that Mary of Magdala comes back to the tomb knowing what she had seen days prior, knowing that she's now seen an empty tomb, but struggling with the reality and her brain is just spinning and she's still mourning and celebrating. It's that terror and amazement all at the same time. It appears she comes back to the cross and she is kneeling and weeping. She's, she's scared to death. She doesn't get it. And, and Jesus walks up behind her in bodily human form resurrected Lord walks up and she's crying so much she thinks she's in another world. She thinks it's the gardener, you know. But eventually something clicks with her as she turns around and she recognizes the voice that once felt distant is now in the room with her. Similar to what I did. And there's this amazing, there's this moment when things are spinning and she's amazed that Jesus is alive and she has seen it for herself 
And so the invitation extends not only to those who have failed extravagantly, but to those who have been faithful and have just been changed and transformed by his love to be reunited and to hear his voice for yourself, to see him for yourself. Not to be invited into a religion, but to be invited into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we can make this way more complicated than what it actually is. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to begin to wrap up. This this band's going to lead us in just a moment. The gospel is deeper than what we can think or imagine. But it's also really simple. God has given us a, a gift. The gift of himself the gift of relationship with the God who created us. And I think within every single one of us, there is a longing to know the God who created us. And we make it more complicated than what it is. And some of you that feel like, man, you failed extravagantly, there is a special invitation for you. If you've just come today out of religious customs to cover up the stench of death, you can come today to a relationship with him and know what it means to come to him and see for yourself to be an eyewitness of the transformational grace of Jesus Christ first we've just got to admit that we're sinners that shouldn't take too long to trace the history on to, to, to think back to something in which we've missed it we've all been born into this, you're not alone, we've all fallen short of the glory of God none of us are good enough on our own um, but it's not just admitting that I'm a sinner. It's, it's admitting that I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. And the only Savior that was the apt sacrifice to take my place, to roll the stone away, to do what I could not do, was Jesus Christ. And it's to believe on him. So to admit I'm a sinner and to believe on Jesus Christ as my Savior, that his grace, not my works, his grace is sufficient for my weakness and for my sins. And thirdly, to confess him as Lord. And say, he, he didn't just come for everybody, he, he came for me. And I'm going to surrender my will, I'm going to surrender trying to do things my way, trying to get good karma, because I realize it's a broken system. And Jesus made a way for us to come back to the Father, to have a right relationship with him. Submit, believe, and confess him as Lord and Savior. And if you can do that today in your heart, and maybe you've done that in the past when you were a child, or maybe you've never had a genuine relationship with Jesus, If you can do that, admit and believe and confess in your heart. And you've made a decision to follow Christ. Just as those (laughs) disciples that were along fishing and and it was just another day and Jesus said, come, follow me. And just as the invitation uh, through the angel to these to go and see for yourself, go to Galilee and Jesus will meet you there. He'll be there when you get there. And so all, we're responsibility, all our responsibility is to take the next step of obedience, to go and see him. And he's always, he's always going to show up. He is who he said he was. C.S. Lewis said, all of us must decide Jesus was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. And we've got to decide for ourselves. But I want you to know, this journey that God is calling us to, he's calling every single one of us, 
For God so loved the world, you are a part of that world, that he gave his only begotten son. And so let's, let's confess him, Lord and Savior, today. I want to pray with you. So let's bow our heads. God, I thank you that across this room you are moving in our hearts. You are drawing us not by some fancy talk or inspirational music, but you are drawing us by your spirit and your kindness, God, that we have witnessed in Jesus Christ. We have witnessed your kindness and your goodness and your grace. God, for some of us that have walked through just a lifetime of brokenness, God, help us to just walk away with a new perpetual hope that is based and founded on Jesus Christ. For those of us that come in just covering up the stench of death that nobody might see it. For those of us that come in religion instead of relationship, God, let us all just come to you and find that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And when we taste, God, and we see that you are good, and you are who you said you were, you are risen, Bring that new life in us today. If you're in this room and, and, and you want to just confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just without, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you'll just raise up your arm, and I just want to see it as a confession today, saying I want to know Jesus in a personal relationship. I, I want to recommit my life and affirm that relationship with Jesus Christ today. God, I just thank you for those that are just declaring that right now. I thank you for those that are just um, stepping boldly into to go and see you for themselves, God, for those that are coming home who have failed greatly and those who have been afflicted greatly. God, you are bringing new life. You are bringing resurrection in our hearts. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this house. In Christ's holy name, amen. This band's gonna lead us. Every single weekend, we have the joy to come and celebrate in the Lord's Supper, which Jesus taught about just before he, he died. He, was, he wanted to celebrate Passover, the Jewish history, um, historical holiday. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread is a symbol of my body that was broken for you. And this cup that we're going to dip in is it's a symbol of Jesus' blood that was poured out for us.